1 Kings 19, 19. So he departed thence. Now the he there is Elijah. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? He returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. When we come to this text in our Bible tonight, we're coming to a transition in the life and the ministry of Elijah. Chapter 19 records one of the greatest struggles of Elijah's life. In fact, Elijah's courage absolutely astounds us. There's no way that we'll ever be um, the man and uh, the prophet, the man of God Elijah was, even though James tells us he was a man subject to like passions. It just seems like he's in a category all by himself in some ways. Think of all the things that Elijah went through in his life, and we've been for months and months, been talking about Elijah in months gone by. And uh, for a lot of last year, we spoke about Elijah and preached on Elijah and examined Elijah. And think about all the struggles of his life that seemingly did not bother Elijah at all. Seemingly, he just went right by him. Things that would trip most people up, things that would trap most of us, Elijah just trucked on by him like they were absolutely nothing. He did not struggle with confrontation. He was able to stand in front of Ahab and point his finger right in Ahab's face and say, listen, God is going to turn off the, 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 the faucets of heaven and there will be no rain for three years. And he didn't have any trouble. Like he didn't even flinch. Like he didn't even blink when it comes to confronting the great King Ahab and his, uh, uh, his uh, puppet master uh, Jezebel, right? It didn't bother him uh, one bit. The confrontation, isolation didn't seem to bother uh, Elijah. He went off by himself at the brook Kareth and he depended on the ravens to come and feed him. He could make it through isolation. Uh, relocation did not bother Elijah when God told him, said, all right, it's time to move and go over here to Zarephath and a little widow woman's going to take care of you. It seemed like he didn't flinch. He followed God. He did what he was supposed to do and, and uh, he commanded that widow woman to make him a meal first and the miracle that was there. And so confrontation and relocation and isolation, none of these things moved him. Even devastation there when the boy dies, the boy, the widow's boy dies, didn't seem to really bother him. He's able to trust God and he prays to God and, and God raises this boy from the dead and he makes it through that. And then even on Mount Carmel, I'm going to call that supplication where he's up on the mountain and he prays and fires 
fire comes down from heaven. It seems like he does not flinch one bit. And then even, I'm going to call it mutilation, when he takes that sword and he kills all them prophets, 450 prophets, and he hacks them up into pieces there on Mount Carmel. Listen, Elijah made it through every single scene that God put him in. Confrontation and isolation and relocation and devastation and supplication and, and mutilation, even when he's confronting those prophets. But he struggled when it came to this area right here, humiliation. Humiliation. When things didn't turn out the way he wanted them to turn out. When he thought this fire is going to come down out of heaven, Jezebel's going to repent, and this whole nation's going to get right, we're going to see revival from the top down, and things didn't happen just like he thought. And it humbled him, and he struggled with God's plan prevailing over his own plan. But of course, God comes to him there as he's in the cave. And God makes him a meal. Amen. And God comforts him. And God says, Elijah, you got to get up. I got some plans. In the previous verses, he tells about his plans. And some of those plans included anointing a servant, anointing a minister by the name of Elisha. And it's amazing to me how God's plan... Listen, Jezebel's rejection of truth, it did not thwart God's plan one bit. God's plan is always on track. God's plan is always on schedule. No matter what the Ahabs and the Jezebels of this world do, listen, their rejection of truth has never altered the truth one bit. And I'm so thankful that God's plan always prevails no matter what is going on. And so verse 19, when we come to our text tonight, verse 19 is Elijah's obedience to God in calling out the one that God had singled out and the one that God God had already called for His service. And this text introduces us to a new character, a character by the name of Elisha. And of course, Elisha will go on to become one of the greatest servants of God, one of the greatest prophets. In fact, he does does twice as many miracles as Elijah in accordance with his prayer. What does he pray? He prays for a double portion and God answers that prayer and he goes on and does twice as much and he becomes one of the greatest prophets in all the Bible. And the call that Elisha has, I'm amazed at its simplicity. I'm amazed at the simpleness, the, the, the very, uh, the very uh, straightforwardness that is here. It's not some big elaborate altar call. It's not 20 seven verses of I surrender all. It's not God, you know, know, Elisha, God has uh, uh, called you and some big elaborate speech by Elijah to uh, uh, Elisha. And by the way, if I start mixing him up a little bit, y'all are just going to have to pray for me, all right? Elijah and Elisha. How many of you realize that sounds a lot alike? And in my mind, I don't think they're scrambled up anyway. And I have a hard time getting things out of my mouth. Y'all just got to say, if I say Elijah and I mean Elisha, or if I say Elisha and I mean Elijah, how many of y'all can have grace on me, all right? All right, good deal. All right, I'm glad we got that out of the way. That's very simple. What does he do? Elisha goes by and, and he takes a mantle. Do you see that? The mantle, verse 19. Elijah passed by him. Passed by him. What does that mean? It just means he passed by him. Elisha, Elisha is on... Uh, or is in, in the field plowing with these yoke of oxen. 
Now here comes Elijah. And obviously Elisha knew exactly who he was and exactly what he was doing because there's not a lot of conversation going on. There's, a, there's an understanding. There is a, a comprehension. And all Elijah does as he passes by is he takes that mantle which would just been a garment that the prophet wore, an outer garment. You can run some references throughout the Old Testament. You find out that that garment, it was, it was, it was a rough garment. John the Baptist wore camel's hair. It was probably something like that. Zechariah calls it the, the prophet's garment, a rough garment. That mantle was some type of an outer garment that identified Elijah as the prophet, identified him as the man of God. When people saw him wearing that, it, the, the very clothing that he wore identified him as a, as a, as a prophet of God. That's why when John the Baptist came uh, in the wilderness, it, it talks about what he wore. Why? Because John the Baptist was identified identifying with those Old Testament prophets. In fact, a lot of them thought, this is Elijah. He's come back. Is this Elijah? Why was he identified with Elijah? It was because of the, of the mantle. It was because of this rough garment that, that he had on. And, and he takes this mantle. What, what, what is the, 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 the calling of a prophet? The, the, the robe, the garb of a prophet. What, what identified him as a prophet? And he took that mantle and he put it on Elisha. And Elisha knew exactly what that very simple call. Very simple call. Very simple terms describing the call of Elisha. And that very simple expression changed the life of Elisha and changed the direction of the life of Elisha. Just that one mantle being thrown on, that one act. And so, obviously... That mantle represented a lot of things to Elisha. And that's what I want to preach on just for a minute tonight. The message of the mantle. What did this mantle represent to Elisha when this mantle was cast upon Elisha? What did it represent to him? Let me give you three things and we'll go to the house. Number one. First of all, to Elisha, this mantle represented a demand that was unmistakable. A demand that was unmistakable. The mantle represented a demand that had been placed on the life of Elijah. In fact, on the life of Elisha. In fact, listen to this. I want you to, I want you to make sure you note this in your mind here that this demand was not the demand of Elijah. It was not Elijah demanding something out of Elisha. In fact, you can read the conversation, the very little bit of conversation that did take place between Elijah and Elisha. It almost seems like Elijah could care less whether Elisha comes or not. Elisha says, can I go back and you know, tell my mom and dad goodbye? And Elijah, I mean, can I translate that just a little bit, what he says at the end of verse number 20? Elijah says, I don't care. Do what you want. <laughs> Do whatever you want. I didn't call you. I, I, I'm not the one. Listen, it wasn't my idea to come over here and throw a mantle on you. That wasn't me. God came to me when I was trying to have my pity party and He interrupted my little pity party and He told me to come find you and anoint you next servant. Listen, that's between you and God what you decide to do. 
But Elisha knew when that mantle was cast on him, he knew that there had been a demand from God Almighty that had been placed on his life. And Elijah did not call Elisha. Elijah was just revealing the demand that God had already placed on his life. God had already made up his mind. Elisha is going to be the next prophet. Elisha is going to be the servant of Elijah. I got a plan for Elisha. I got a will for Elisha's life. And I've already made up my mind. Elijah said, all I'm here doing is telling you what God has already said and what God has already demanded on your life. Can I tell you what the preacher's job is? Uh, The Elijah's job is? Listen, it's not my job to call anybody. I'm not up here to tell you what to do. I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. I'm not not here to manipulate you and try to uh, 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 run every part of your life. But it is my job to stand up here and tell you what God's already demanded out of your life. All I do is I get up here and I say, hey, listen, here's what God said. Here's what God desires. Here's what God demands out of your life. And I take that mantle and I cast it out and say, surrender your life to God. Give your life to God. Do what God says. But it ain't me. There's no authority in me. I have zero authority in and of myself. You know that? So, well, we believe in pastoral authority. I do too. But I'm going to tell you what, in and of myself, I don't have any authority at all. This Bible has authority. God Almighty has authority. He's the one to tell you. And most of the time, people don't get mad at the preacher. They're really mad at God. They're just taking it out on the preacher. Amen. Amen. Because I'm not judging anybody. I'm telling you what the judge says. Amen. I'm just telling you what the book says. And any preacher that just does what God tells him to do, he'll have plenty of enemies. He'll have plenty of people don't like it. Amen. If the preacher has everybody like him, I get nervous when nobody's mad at me. I get real nervous. I get nervous. If it ain't some woman giving me weird looks while I'm preaching, I get a little bit nervous. I say, well, I'm not preaching what I ought to be preaching then, amen, because it's going to make somebody mad. Amen. I'm not looking to make somebody mad, but it just does. It just happens. Amen. If I don't read some kind of Facebook post and think that's probably about me, then I'm not preaching hard enough. Amen. Amen. Elisha knew exactly he knew exactly what that mantle meant. It was a demand that was unmistakable. God wanted him to surrender his life. God wanted him to serve him exclusively and alone. And it's amazing to me how Elijah seemed to know exactly what was going on. I think, and can I just tell you what I think? Is that all right? Just for, let's just pause just for a second. Let me just give you an opinion. But I think it's a good opinion. That's all I have is a good opinion. I think Elisha, I think God had already been doing something in Elisha's life. Had to have, right? I mean, for just one simple little... I, I mean, if, if, if Elisha really was clueless as to all, what all this meant, I think if some old man comes by and throws his jacket on you, you'd be like, uh, Sir, sir, uh, you threw your coat on me. Well, that ain't what happened. Elisha knew. Elisha said, it's almost like he knew it was coming. It's almost like he knew he was expecting something. God had already been working his heart. and He's out there plowing in the field, but God had been doing some plowing in his own heart. Speaking to his heart, saying, hey, you're mine. 
I'm going to use you. I want you. I want you to surrender your life. This isn't what I have planned for your life for the rest of your life. I got something. I think God was already working in Elisha's heart and Elijah's life. And that was just the that was just the straw that broke the camel's back when that mantle was cast on Elisha. He said, This is it. This is what I've been waiting on. This is what God has been working on in my heart. I, he knew who Elijah was. He never said, Are you Elijah? Are you that prophet on Mount Carmel? He knew who God's man was. He knew what God's word was. He knew what God's will was. And all he needed was a man of God to come by and reinforce what God had already been doing in his heart. And the demand was clear. It was unmistakable. Elisha knew exactly what he needed to do. He did it. He left the oxen, ran after Elijah. He knew exactly what he needed to do. Can I tell you, that is our problem... Listen, 99% of our problems, are, it's not knowing the will of God. It's doing the will of God. Most of you sitting in here tonight, most of us sitting in here tonight, you know what you need to do to get right with God. You know it. You know what sin is in your life keeping you from worshiping God, keeping you from surrendering your life to God, keeping you from... You know what it is. You know what it is. You just won't do it. It ain't knowing. Lord, show me. Lord, show me. Listen, all that Lord, show me stuff, a lot of times that's just delayed obedience is all that. It's just disobedience is all it is. You don't, you don't need God to show you anything. You need to show some good works. God's already gave you a good word. You need to add some good works to it. Amen. We know what's going on. And Elisha, the first thing the mantle tells me in Elisha's life is that Elisha knew that mantle represented a demand of God to surrender his life that had been placed upon his life. And that demand was to follow a person, is what it is. He went after Elijah and ministered unto him. It was to follow Elijah. Elijah did not come with a, with a portfolio and, 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 a, and a PowerPoint presentation and say, Elisha, if you decide to follow God, if you decide to sign up for our Bible college here, here's what you can expect. You know, first semester we're going to do this, and second semester we're going to do this, and then we're going to do that. And, and then we're, No, no, no. It wasn't any of that. Elisha had no plans whatsoever. He had a person is all he had. And by the way, that is the demand that's been placed on life. God's not going to come to you and give you a 17 point plan of everything that he's got in the future. He's going to come and say, here I am. Either follow me or don't. I say, but God, where we're going? It don't matter where we're going. You follow me. And the demand was to follow a person. It was to follow Elijah. Wherever Elijah was going, that's where Elisha was going. Whatever Elijah needed, that's what Elisha was going to do. It was going to be following this man wherever he goes. Elijah was a righteous man. Elijah was a rejected man. And then eventually we find out Elijah is a risen man. He goes up in a chariot, a fire, and in a whirlwind. Can I tell you something about Jesus? He is the righteous man. He is the rejected man. And He is the risen man. And our assignment, our unmistakable demand is to give our life 100% completely over to the Lord Jesus Christ and let Him do whatever He wants to do in our life. Give God a blank check. Sign it. Give it to Him. Let Him fill it out for whatever He wants to fill it out with. Give it to Him. Or do you not trust Him enough to do that? You think he's going to put something in there? He's going to write something in you can't cash. Well, he normally does. But the good news is he's got your route number. 
And he makes a deposit. Amen. He'll give you what you need to serve him. But anyway, that's what the mantle meant to Elisha. That was the message in the mantle. Elisha knew there was a demand that had been placed on his life, unmistakable demand. Some people, I believe, they're ignoring the mantle. They don't want to see the mantle. Preacher gets up, starts preaching on surrender to God. They, da-da-da-da-da. They're thinking about anything else and everything else and all the reasons they can, all the people that hurt them and all the people that did them wrong and, and everything else. And, they're, and they think, and that mantle, here it comes. Here the preacher's going to cast that mantle. And who's going to surrender to God? Who's going to serve God? Who's going to sell out to God? And here comes the mantle. And so many people, they are absolutely wonderful at mantle, like dodgeball, but dodge mantle. Whew, miss that one. And go to church. Here comes the mantle. Surrender to God. Say, whoo, man. Praise God. I missed that one. And they go out and they walk out in church, light up a cigarette, and all that conviction just goes away. <sighs> oh, man, that's a blessing. Just break it all up. Come on now. Of course, we don't need cigarettes. We got cell phones now. We just open it up. In fact, we can do it in church. You can't light up in church, I don't guess. I mean, we are in North Carolina, but even here, we don't do that anymore. I guess, but, but you can pop out that cell phone. You can think about something else, count ceiling tiles or whatever you're doing. But here, listen, it still ain't going to, listen, I don't care how much you ignore it. I don't care how much you dodge the mantle. It, it still does not change it. Listen, it doesn't change the fact. God's put a demand on your life. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's there. You can ignore it. You can do your own thing. You can rebel against it. But it is there. You are God. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. You belong to God. And if you're not surrendered to Him, doing what He wants you to do, you're a rebel. Amen. You might sing in the choir, but you're a, choir, you're a rebel choir member. You can wear a skirt down to the floor, but you're, a, or you're just a rebel wearing a skirt. Amen. You might have a tie, but you're just a rebel wearing a tie. You might have a King James Bible, you're just a rebel carrying a King James Bible. Right. Amen. Right. Yeah. Good man. Trying to dodge the mantle. There's some good mantle dodgers, ain't there? But can you not sense it? Can you not sense the demand that God has placed on your life? It's there. It's there. Some of us are so numb. We've grieved the Holy Ghost and offended Him so long. We don't even know what conviction feels like anymore. Whew. I don't ever want to get there. I hate conviction, but I love it. And unless you know what that means, then you don't know what that means. What was the message in the mantle? It was a demand that was unmistakable. He knew that God had placed a demand on his life. Number two. That mantle not only represented a demand that was unmistakable, that mantle represented a decision that was unavoidable. You know what happens? Elisha, when that mantle was put on his shoulders, guess what? He's got to make a decision now. He's got to make a decision. Look at his decision. It's in verse 20. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. How about that? He examined his life. He examined God's call. And he made the decision to go with God. And by the way, this is real simple preaching, but it's just that's, that's the decision. That, I mean, that's what's on us. 
Every one of us, God has placed a demand of surrender and service on our life. But listen to me, you have to make the decision. Elijah didn't take the mantle and wrap it around Elisha's neck. He didn't tie it off like a leash and say, All right, buddy, you're coming with me. No, he took the mantle and he just threw it on his shoulders. And then, he, and then the text indicates that he, he, Elijah, he passed by. Like, he kept on going. He just passed them through the mantle and just kept going. Like, look, whatever you want to do, man. If you want to follow me, let's go. If you're not, do whatever you want to do. I've done what God has told me to do. Elijah didn't make the decision for Elisha. He revealed the demand and then he went no further. In fact, he pretty much told him, he said, look, this thing's between you and God. This is a personal decision that is between you and God. And he goes back to honor his parents. It was this, this, this going back, Elisha did. It wasn't like the man in the New Testament that wanted to go back and bury his parents. Jesus said, you know, let the dead bury the dead. That burial was a long process. It took a long time and there was mourning days and all that kind of stuff. And of course, Jesus knew what was in this man's heart anyway. This boy, Elisha, he just went back to go kiss his mama and kiss his daddy. And then he was going to hit the road with Elijah his priorities were in order. He wasn't going to linger around in his past. He had made up his mind. He was going to serve God. And everybody makes a decision about the mantle. It's an unavoidable decision. Some will walk out of this service just like they come in or, or even maybe a little more hard-hearted than what they come in. Because every time you reject the Holy Ghost, you get just a little bit harder. Your heart gets a little bit more numb to all of it. You build up a little bit more. Every time you say no, every time, every time you reject it, every time you say, I'm not giving in, I'm not surrendering nothing, I'm not doing that kind of stuff. Every time you do it, then you become a hard-hearted man and God has to do something very extreme, very epic to break your heart, if He even does at all. Always have, hey boys, have a tender heart. Let the littlest of sins break your heart. Let the smallest of inclinations of God wanting you to just surrender, just do it. Say, Lord, I'll do it. I'll do it. Lord, you want me to preach? I'll do it. You want me to give this? I'll do it. You want me to do that? I'll do it. You want me? To, I'll do. I'll do it. I'll do it. Whatever you say. If you just nudge my heart in that, if I even think you're asking me to do it, God, I'll do it. Be sensitive to God. Always have that. But some people, they have built up an immunity. They've built up a resistance. And now, I don't even know why some people, honestly, I don't even know why some people come to church. I mean, they sit in there just hard-hearted and they just look like this. And they've said no to the Holy Ghost. They've said no to the mantle for so long. But, but, but here's what I'm saying. That, even, even to walk out unchanged, that is, an, that is a decision. See, everybody has to, it's not, well, I'm just not ready to make a decision. No, that is, not surrendering to God, that is a decision. When that mantle was cast on Elisha's shoulders, he had to make, he had to do something. He could either take the mantle off and give it back to Elijah, or he could do what God had called him to do. But he had to decide to do something. And so do you. You have to. You have to. Not doing something is in and of itself a decision. The mantle means there is a decision that is absolutely un.
avoidable. How many times has the mantle, how many times has the call come your way and God passed by your way and you said no? What did the mantle mean? What was the message in the mantle for Elisha? Well, it was a demand that was unmistakable. It was a decision that was unavoidable. And then let me say this lastly and I'm done. It was a delight that was unbelievable. Verse 21. How many of y'all still with me say amen? Everybody okay? Verse 21. And I love this. He returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. You know, the focus in that verse, I've always heard it preached this, I've always, really, I've only heard it ever preached one way my whole life. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm just saying the focus has always been in verse, verse 21, uh, has always been on the cost of discipleship. Look at what Elisha gave up. There's a couple of things that we can uh, infer, I think, if that's is that, that right, where we can gather from some of the clues that's given to us in this text. It says in verse number 19 that they were plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. They tell me in that society, if you had 12 yoke of oxen, you were rich. That, you were low. I mean, that's like having the nicest, newest, biggest, I mean, several of nicest, newest, biggest John Deere tractors. If you had that, you were very, very rich. And he was plowing with the 12th yoke of oxen. And think about this. Not only does it look like Elisha was part of a wealthy family and was probably set up for the rest of his life, but think about this. For the last three and a half years, they hadn't been working much. There's been a drought in the land. There's been a famine in the land. But guess what just happened? God's just turned the water back on. What does that mean? That means it's about to pick up. I mean, things are, things are happening. And, and we're about to make some money. I mean, Elisha's looking and, he, and he's talking to his parents and talking to the servants there in the field. And he's thinking, you know what? Man, you know, we could, uh, I think we're going to be able to break even this year. And we're going to make a profit next year. And man, this thing is going to take off and we're going to make some money again. And, and things are going to start being good again. And all these things. And, and so there's a big future and there's a, a rich family. And Elisha takes all of these things and he seemingly gives them all up to follow God and follow God's will for his life. And there's always an emphasis on the sacrifice that he made to follow God. But as I read this text, it may seem like that to you. And it may seem like that to me when I read some of this. But it doesn't seem like Elisha viewed it that way. Because it seems like Elisha's familiar with the mantle and the work of the prophet. And it's almost like to me that Elisha has been waiting on an opportunity to serve. There wasn't any convincing. There wasn't any persuading. Like I said, there wasn't 79 verses of I surrender all and just as I am. And there wasn't a preacher getting up and preaching an emotional message about surrendering your life to God. He's been waiting. And as soon as that mantle touched his shoulders, he said, praise God. Here it is. Here's my opportunity to serve God. Because the Bible says, 
says in verse number 20 that he left the oxen and he ran after Elijah almost like he was afraid Elijah was going to pass him by and his opportunity was going to get away from him. And he begins to run after Elijah and he says, listen, I'm going with you. I want to go. Let me go back and let me uh, you know, honor my mom and honor my dad, but I'm going to follow you and I want to serve this. And he runs after Elijah. And then in verse 21, he willingly takes everything that represented his old life and he took it and he burned it all. And what does he do? He makes a party out of it. He said, everybody, come on by. Where, this is, it wasn't a funeral. It was a feast. It wasn't a sad thing. It was a happy thing. It was, it was an excited thing. That is what, when that mantle hit his shoulders, I think his heart leaped for joy. And he couldn't wait. And he ran after Elijah. And he took everything and he said, Call everybody. We are going to have a party tonight. And the party is, guess what? I'm stepping down from my high-paying position with a bright future and a rich family. And I'm going to go, Do what, Elisha? What are you going to do? What's this new position you have? I'm going to be a servant. <laughs> to the man of God. I'm going to... In a text later on, it tells us what he did. You know what he did? That word minister, you know what that word minister means? It means he's the slave. He's literally Elijah's gopher. You do what I say. And in one text later on, it's going to tell us what Elisha did. What does he do? What was one of his jobs? He took water. And he poured it on Elijah's hands. He washed the hands of an old man. You think he made a lot of money? You think he was in the limelight? No, he just joined up with public enemy number one in Israel. Now Ahab and Jezebel, they don't just hate Elijah, they hate Elijah and Elisha. He wasn't signing up for some glamorous big staff position at the First Baptist Church of Samaria. No, he signed up to be a slave. But I think with all my heart, I believe this with all my heart, and I'm done tonight, but listen, I believe this with all my heart. Miss Maddie, you can come around. I'm done. I believe this with all my heart. If you were to look at old Elisha, he wasn't crying tears. Now, his mama might have been crying. His daddy might have been crying. His friends might have been crying. His girlfriend may have been crying. I don't know who's all crying, but Elisha's not crying. He's excited. Man, he's ready. This is it. I'm going to serve the Lord with my life. He did not view the mantle as an obligation. He viewed it as a privilege. He didn't think about the task of being a slave to God. He didn't think of it as a step down, but to Him, it was a step up. And that's why so many people are trying to avoid that mantle because to them... The mantle represents heartache. Everything God's going to take from me. God wants to ruin my life and God wants to hurt me and God wants to make my life miserable. And that's literally... So listen, your problem is what, you, is what you think about God. Your problem is your view of God. That's your, at the root, at the core. If you want to get to the bottom of this thing, it's that you see God as somebody that wants to make your life miserable rather than a father who loves you 
and wants to bless you and wants the best thing for your life. Our problem is, is how we view serving the Lord. I like what the psalmist said, Psalm 100, just serve the Lord with gladness. When you think about what He's done for you, and you think about who He is, listen, there's no, there's no such thing as sacrificing something for God. There's no such thing. It's a blessed privilege. It's an honor. It's a wonderful thing. It's the best life that you could ever live. You can have all the money. You can have all the stuff. You can have all the things if that's what you want. If that's what you want to go after. And there's nothing wrong with having, having money. There's nothing wrong with having a good job. There's nothing wrong with working hard and having the, nothing wrong with that. But if that's what you live for, if that's what you pursue, if that's what's number one in your life, you can do all that if you want to. But I'm going to tell you where the best life is. It's, selling, it's getting that mantle and holding on to it and say, thank God. Finally, I get an opportunity. Finally, I get to serve. Finally, I get to do something for God. What a blessing. Blessed privilege it is to sell out and surrender everything to God. Some people think, oh, it's the worst life ever. Honestly, I, I think some people, I'm not saying it's a blanket statement, but I think some people just need to get saved. They just need to be genuinely born again because they don't know God. They don't know the God of this Bible. They don't, they don't have the joy of the Holy Ghost in their heart. If you really believe God wants to ruin your life and He's going to throw a mantle on your back so He can just, He can, you know, harness you and, and ruin every, all your plans and your dreams. If that's what you really think there is about serving God, you don't know God. You don't know God. His yoke is easy, His burden is light. What a privilege it is. To serve God. So what's the message of the mantle? Well, it's that God has made an unmistakable demand for surrender and service on each of our lives. The message of the mantle is that there's a decision that only you can make, but you must make it, you will make it, you have made it. And the message of the mantle is, it is a privilege, it is a blessed privilege to serve God. And how you respond to the mantle reveals what you really think about God. And so my admonition to you tonight from this text would be give yourself to God, surrender to God, sell out to God. It's not a new message, but it's a needed message. You used to hear things of what we call rededicating your life to God. When's the last time you rededicated your life to God? God, you can have me. I'm your servant. There's nothing better than serving you. If serving God has become a drudgery, if, it, if all you can think about is what you left behind and what you don't have and what it cost you and where you could be and all this kind of stuff, if you didn't have to do this, didn't feel obligated, listen, that's a bunch of hogwash. It's a blessed privilege to serve God. And God will be, he'll be a debtor to no man. He told his disciples in the New Testament, he said, ain't nobody left houses and lands and mothers and fathers and all that. stuff. So you'll be rewarded this life and in the life to come. Amen. Listen, it's not, like, it's not like we're not getting anything for it. It's good in this life. But this, life ain't, this life don't even scratch the surface of what we're getting on the other side because we took that mantle and we said, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to give it all I got.